Luke chapter 6 is where we will be spending our time together this morning. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one of the black ones from in the pew in front of you. Luke chapter 6, the passage we'll be considering, will be found on page 863, right under the heading, Build Your House on the Rock. It is my honor and privilege to be with you this morning. We will pick up where we left off last week as we work our way verse by verse through this wonderful gospel. I want to say many thanks to Pastor Paul for allowing me uh, to sit with my family during the service last Sunday as he brought the word. Uh, It's a rare thing that I get to sit with my family during church, and I cherish it every time I do. So thank you, Pastor. Um, We're going to read verses 46 down to the end of the chapter. I will pray, ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we'll work our way through it a verse at a time. should be 45 minutes or so. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 46. Hear now, people of God, the word of God. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for another morning of mercy. Another Lord's Day where we can gather as your chosen people in this building to sing praise to your name, to remember your death, your resurrection and to hear you speak to us. Would you be kind this morning and remove the fog from our eyes and let us see your Son clearly. Remove the distractions from our ears and from our minds that we may hear him clearly. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. For those of you who have been Christians for a little while, I wonder what you would suggest as your top three things that every Christian should read. Top three things that every Christian should read. Number one is an obvious one, yes? The Bible, right? Every Christian must read. It's not even a competition. The Bible must be top. 
But I wonder what number two and three would be. I mean, there's probably a lot of good answers. I'll give you mine, and you don't have to agree with my answers. It's not a sin to be wrong. The second most important thing I think every Christian should read is the membership directory of their church. The membership directory of their church is the second most important document that every Christian owns. And I'm serious about that. I keep our directory in the back of my Bible, read through every name almost every week. The second is the membership directory. The third is, and I think Pastor Steve would agree with me, The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Not Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan is the giant lumberjack who rides on the blue ox. That's a different Bunyan. This is John Bunyan, the English writer and Puritan preacher of the 17th century. The Pilgrim's Progress is an amazing book. It is. It was Charles Spurgeon's favorite book, as well as many other millions of Christians. If you haven't read The Pilgrim's Progress, I suggest that you read it. It is a wonderful book. It's a Christian allegory about uh, the everyman character who goes by the name of Christian, who journeys from the city of destruction, this world, to the celestial city, the, the world to come. And Christian meets many characters along the way, some of whom help him, others who don't help him. There's danger and adventure and there's dragons and there's good theology. It is a picture of the Christian life. It is a great book. And at one point in the Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and his friend Faithful meet a man called Talkative. And Talkative, as the name suggests, loves talking about religion and about spirituality. But his heart, his lifestyle, has not been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Faithful asks Talkative some questions. A really important question. The question that Faithful asks is, how does the saving grace of God discover itself when it is in the heart of man? How do you know you have the grace of God on your life? And talkative answers, well, it causes a great outcry against sin, which sounds like a really good answer. And so faithful presses him. He says, don't you mean, talkative, that the grace of God which appears on the soul would cause the person to abhor their own sin? Well, what's the difference, says talkative. And faithful replies, I've heard many cry against sin who abide it well enough in their heart, in their house, and in their conversation. And so talkative answer, answers a different way. And he says, one way to detect the grace of God in the heart is, to, is that you have great knowledge of gospel mysteries. And faithful again presses his friend and says, great knowledge may be obtained in the mystery of the gospel, yet no work of grace be done on, on the soul. For God's blessing is not on the knowing, but on the doing. And so faithful offers 
his answer, the right answer to the question, how do you discover the grace of God upon the soul? Well, it is seen in the conviction of sin on the heart, which works sorrow and shame in the life, which then drives a person to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of Jesus Christ, a love of Christ's own holiness, a desire to know him more and to serve him. In other words, a heart that is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ produces a sorrow over sin, a desire to obey Christ in every part of one's life. And then Faithful turns to Talkative. And he says, tell me, Talkative, do you possess this? Have you discovered this grace of God in your life? Does your life, your conversation testify to the same things? Or is your religion in talk only? Well, Talkative doesn't like this attention being placed upon his life, and so he accuses Faithful of being judgy. And he breaks fellowship with Christian and with Faithful. This is a brilliant illustration of the passage before us today. For in your own journey to the celestial city, you are bound to meet Talkative in his self-deception. I am sure that I have met him many times. But more than that, the illustration of the man talkative, the man talkative himself serves as a warning to us all. And I mean this in all seriousness. You might be him. For it is possible to believe all the right theology. Hopefully the things that are in that booklet. To confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. To be able to discuss, debate, and defend the Bible, even memorize large sections of the Bible and still carry a heart that is unchanged by the glorious realities in the Bible. It is possible to possess great knowledge and have zero faith. Because, of course, I could study all that there is to know about ocean currents and tides and sand and seashells. I could even teach about the ocean. But if I have never been to the ocean, then I would know less about the ocean than a child who spends a day on the beach. For if I have never felt the sand beneath my feet, the waves washing over my body, if I have never drank in the sights and smells of the salty ocean air or had my heart moved by its raw beauty, then how much do I know about the ocean really? And Jesus teaches us that those who have heard his word but not kept his word or like a man building his life without a foundation. And when the streams of affliction come, when hardship breaks against that man's life, he will be completely ruined. This humble message is this simple pastor's attempt 
to spare you that fate. Please heed your master's warnings from Luke chapter 6. The big idea this morning, and if you'll put this on the screen, come to Jesus, hear and obey, and your life will be unshakable in any hardship. Three parts we'll look at from this passage. We'll spend almost all of the time on the second point. The first point is that confessions are something, but they are not everything. We'll see that in the first verse. Confessions are something, but they're not everything. Second, how to build the unshakable life. That's where we'll spend most of our time together. How to build the unshakable life. And then finally, the ungrounded life will come to ruin. The ungrounded life will come to ruin. So let's look first at verse 46 one more time. Confession is something, but not everything. Jesus asks this rhetorical question, and I think he asks it not just of the disciples, but of everyone in this room. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Confession is something. It is not everything. From the passage that we considered last Sunday, Pastor Paul reminded us of what what Jesus taught us about the heart. You remember from the verse right before this one, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In the Bible, the heart is the center of the person, the center, the seat of the affections. Your words are an overflow of what's in your heart. If your heart is rotten, your words will be rotten. If your heart is good, your words will be good. And here Jesus teaches that it is possible to have a heart so deceived that the mouth will confess to one thing while the life tells a different story. Like talkative, Jesus is Lord. But his life betrayed that confession. This is a very, very quick clarifier. If you've been Christian for a while, then you've probably heard language of making Jesus the Lord of your life. You probably have heard people say you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's not completely wrong. I think I understand what is meant by that phrase, but there are better ways of saying it. Because, of course, you don't need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. He is already the Lord of your life, whether you acknowledge him as the Lord of your life or not. His lordship over your life is not dependent on your acknowledgement of it. Right? So, you remember just not that long ago, there was that movement online where people were, hashtag, not my president. (laughs) That's not how this works. A duly elected president is president whether or not anyone likes it. So perhaps we could say it differently. We could say, accept him as Lord of your life, or probably more precisely, trusting and depending on him as the Lord of your life, living as if he is the Lord of your life. So confession is something, but it is not everything. And they might be thinking, well, hold up, pastor. That's not what Paul said. Romans 10, didn't Paul say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved? No. Paul didn't say that. 
Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, there are plenty who will confess that Jesus is the Lord who do not believe it in their heart and thus have no life change at all. They do not do what he tells them. Though they live as if with their confession he is the Lord, they live with their life as if they are the Lord. I recently finished a book on church history from the second century. Second century Christianity has long been an interest of mine, and I am fascinated by this period of time after the death of the apostles and how the church gets along. Something that surprised me about the early church was just how unwelcoming they were to outsiders. I I feel like if I visited there, I'd be protesting. I mean, give them a little bit of grace. There were lots of persecution happening, and there were people professing to be Christians so they would find out where Christians meet, and then they would arrest them. So it made sense in some regards. And in those early days, you couldn't attend a church gathering unless you were vouched for. Before anyone was allowed to be baptized, to take the Lord's Supper, to become a member of the church, they were put through a catechism that was years long. And it's not like the catechism that we do today where it's mostly about theology. This was a catechism which was more of an investigation into their life, into their heart. Have they been changed by their theology? Is there real evidence in their life that their heart has been changed by the gospel? Does their biography match their theology? They say, you are Lord, Lord, but do they do what he says? So confession is something. It is not everything. Confession is not salvific. A Christian, it does not make. It must have faith, which produces work. Faith, which produces good work. Which brings us to the second point, verses 47 and 48. How to build an unshakable life. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house, could not shake it because it had been well built. Note Well, this promise in verse 47. Everyone. Everyone who comes to Jesus, hears Jesus, and does Jesus' words, everyone is like this. Do you want a well-built, unshakable life? Cling to this promise from the Lord of glory. And it is a remarkable promise. Not only is Jesus Christ saying that there is a way to live which keeps disaster from destroying your life, he is saying that my word is the thing that will keep disaster destroying your life. There is a life which is so well built that it is unshakable, un 
unwavering, unyielding, resolute, impervious to disaster befalling it, no matter what it is. And it is a life built on the words of Jesus Christ. And notice, the Lord is not saying that by coming to him, hearing his words, and doing what he says will keep your life from disaster. He's saying it will keep your life through disaster. It will keep disaster from destroying your life. You see, God did not promise that a Christian will avoid disaster. He promised that she will endure disaster. Oh, she'll be afflicted, but not crushed. She'll be perplexed, but not despair. She'll be persecuted, but never forsaken. She'll be struck down, but not destroyed. So what is the secret to this unshakable life? How is it that we will endure through disaster? Well, verse 47 has the clear answer. Come to Jesus, hear Jesus, and do what he says. Build your life on him, on his words. It's the life of the person whose faith in Christ that manifests as obedience to Christ who will endure. If you remember from last week, Pastor Paul talked about fruit. Faith in Christ is the root of the tree. And obedience to Christ is the fruit of the tree. The good tree has good roots and it will produce good fruits. Do you, know, do you see the progression of those present tense verbs in verse 47? Come, hear, do. Come to Jesus, hear Jesus, put Jesus' words into practice. This is how your life can be built in such a way that it won't be shaken by the disaster of any sort or kind. This is how the Apostle Paul was able, while rotting in some jail cell, to write to the Philippians saying, I have full courage now, as always, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether I live or die. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And you must remind yourself, dear Christian, Paul was a man just like you, with a nature just like yours. Saved by the same gospel, he had the same faith in the same Lord. His tree was rooted to the same good news. And his life was unshakable. He heard Jesus. And he kept Jesus' word. And the promise was true for him. And it will be true for you. In verse 48, Jesus says that those who come and hear and do are like a man building a house who, notice, digs deep. He lays a foundation on the rock so that when the flood arose, and it will, 
when the stream breaks against the house, because it will, it could not be shaken. It was, in Jesus' words, well built. So what made this house so strong? The deep foundation, of course. The foundation set on the rock. The man dug deep. He cleared away the dirt. He found the rock. And on that rock, he built his house. It was not his ingenuity which kept his house safe. It was the rock. The rock who is Christ himself, his life, his ministry, his words. Isn't that what we sing? On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And if you'll allow me to press on this metaphor, this man digs deep. Church, we must dig deep. Do not settle for a superficial foundation for your life. Clear away the sand and the loose dirt and the fluff, the vain philosophies and the words of man. Find the rock of Jesus Christ and build your life upon him. Dig deep. Read your Bible. Dig into its meaning. Find the vast treasures and the glories Within, Don't settle for a superficial surface understanding of your Bible. Meditate upon it. Fill your mind with it. Memorize it. Drink in the refreshing, soul-satisfying glories of Christ in it. Apply it to your life. Put it to use and then share it with others. Those Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesday mornings with your coffee in hand and your Bible in the in your lap, reading and praying and filling your mind with the glories of Christ, it may not feel like much at the time, but I promise you, you are building. You are digging. You are laying a good foundation. That mind-engaging, wrestling with God's Word and the worship that it produces and the life change it creates, it's like using a hammer drill, driving pins deep into the rock, anchoring the foundation of your life to the words of your Savior. For who was it that said that heaven and earth may pass away? My words will never pass away. It wasn't Thomas Jefferson. It wasn't James Madison. It wasn't the King of England or Shakespeare or Marcus Aurelius. It was Jesus Christ. Build your life on him and his words so that when the flood rises and the streams break against your life, you will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness by deceitful schemes. You will have a life built on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that nothing you give to him, nothing you do for him is in vain. Hebrews 12 promises that shaking is coming. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And it's just as you confessed with your mouth earlier in the service today, though the earth give way, 
we will not fear. Streams, dear friend, will break against your house. And what will hold you on that day? When the phone rings, there's been an accident. When the doctor says we need to sit down and talk about your options. What oxygen will fill your lungs when some news sucks the air out of the room? Have you dug deep? Have you built your life on the words of Christ? Is the foundation of your life prepared to endure the flood of disaster and great suffering? Do you have the faith to say with the man Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. For I know my Redeemer lives. Has your soul been so captured by the glorious grace in God that on that day of worst news, it will sing with the prophet Habakkuk, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though I have nothing left, yet I will rejoice in the God who is my salvation. Friend, what is powering your yet? Because the streams are coming. Untreatable illness. Incurable disease. A spouse slipping into dementia. A marriage of waning love. The monthly reminder that there's still no baby. A business falling to pieces. A child denying the Lord. On what have you built your life? And how will it sustain disaster? Can you say, church, to cancer, you may break against this house, but you won't shake it. My heart might be broken, but my house will not be shaken. Send the rain, send the flood, send the tempest and the storm. I have dug deep. I am standing on the rock. I am my Redeemer's and He is mine. For the Christian life will endure the flood. The Christian life will endure the stream. I've seen it. I've seen it many times from people in this room. Enduring faith. And this is simply because every Christian knows Romans 8.32 is true, whether we feel it or not. He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us 
all things. Christian, you know that God did not spare his own son. He paid the ultimate price to make you his. And having paid such a price, he will hold you, he will carry you, he will bring you all the way to the end. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. Why? What's the answer the psalmist gives? You can ask Eliza Griffith. She's six years old. She quoted that song to me just a couple of weeks ago. Because you are with me. You are with me. All that might have destroyed your life was laid on Christ. You can tell that to cancer. Jesus was crushed by the wrath of God for your sin so that you would be raised up and forgiven. You can tell that to your accuser. Jesus was rejected so that you would be accepted by God. You can tell that to persecution and to loneliness. Jesus was chastened so that you would have peace. You can tell that to anxiety. Church, stand strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. You who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been united to him. And in him, you have been fully accepted, fully forgiven, fully complete, fully equipped for every good work. And I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? No, I mean like, do you really believe that? Because if you do, do you know what this means? It means that everything God brings into your life is for your good. Everything. And nothing God withholds from your life is for your harm. Nothing. Whatever streams in his providence he allows to break against your house, it will not shake it. He loves you. He will hold you fast. That's your promise. That's what's contained in that word, everyone. So if you're not a Christian, you don't have that promise. I sure want you to. You have heard the words of the Lord Jesus Christ today. What are you going to do with it? Will you do with these words what so many here have done? Repent of your sin. Turn to the Lord for mercy. 
Will you leave your old life behind and follow Jesus? I pray you will. Before you leave here today, take one of those Bibles from the pew in front of you and go home today and read the rest of the Gospel of Luke. Find someone who looks like a regular and ask them to meet with you this week and to tell you more about this unshakable life and the promise that they're standing on. I promise they will rearrange their schedule for you to meet with you and to introduce you to this life. You must do something with these words, my unbelieving friend. For if you do not, I can only say to you what Jesus says in verse 49. Let's read it again. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. No resistance. And the ruin of that house was great. There are only two ways to live. One way is to build your life on the words of Jesus Christ and to endure whatever comes and to have eternal life. The other option is to build your life on the ground without a foundation, the shifting sands of the philosophies of man. But without a foundation, a stream will destroy the house. So hear Jesus and keep his words. These two houses share much in common, don't they? They probably look very similar on the outside. In Pilgrim's Progress, the the character talkative is described as someone who looks better from far away. But when you get up close to him, you're like, eh. He didn't dig deep. He didn't lay a good foundation. He probably built his house in haste. Gave all of his time and attention to the walls, to the roof, to the furnishing, to the aesthetics. He looks good on the outside. But he had no foundation. And so when the stream came and broke against the house, it fell. And Jesus said the ruin was great. The inescapable reality is that God's judgment is coming and it is a flood. And one day, everyone in this room will stand before the risen Savior. A shaking is coming. And only that which cannot be shaken will be remaining. So dig deep. Build your life on Christ and His Word. His death and His resurrection is all that will keep you on that day. A nice home, a good family, and ample savings are good things, but they will not save you. And besides, if you're a Christian, that is not your life anyway. A man is not what he possesses. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So talkative disappears from John Bunyan's story. Apparently, he never made it to the celestial city. Do not be like that man. Although he looked the part, 
He didn't live the part. He knew the glorious mysteries of the gospel, but they never changed his heart. They were simply a means to an end. He might have been able to tell you a lot about the sea, but he never felt the air upon his face or the sand between his toes. His heart had never become moved by the grandeur of the glories of God in Christ. And his life came to ruin. Don't be like him. Dig deep and build your life on Christ. Come to Jesus. Hear Jesus. Obey Jesus. And your life will be unshakable in any hardship. Let's pray to that end. Father, we confess to you that we have been too much like talkative. We've said the right things. We've learned much about Jesus. But in some ways, our hearts have not been moved by him. We've heard his words and we've neglected to put them into practice in our own lives. And some of us, Lord, driven by the wonderful doctrines of grace alone and faith alone, have left many good works alone. Revive us, O Lord. Cause the excellencies of Christ drive and empower a passion to bring Him glory through our obedience. Give us grace to dig deep and to build our life on Your Son and on His teaching. Form us and mold us and shape us, cut us, wound us and prune us until our lives take the shape of our Savior. With all of our hearts, Lord, we seek to please Him in all things. And to this end, Lord, would You give us grace and enable us to give our lives. Give us grace to endure whatever hardships are coming, whatever hardships we're enduring now knowing full well that they are a gift from heaven to deepen our faith in Jesus and our worship of him. For we know that Jesus deserves a pure and spotless bride. Shape us into that, we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4 offers an assurance of pardon. So if you'll stand, I'll read over you the assurance of pardon. And we'll sing our last song. Which, of course, is on Christ, the solid rock I stand. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, hear now the word of God over your life. Romans 8, 3 to 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit.